Well, good, good morning. Good to see you. Glad you're here. One of my friends just said, you need to preach on sex more often. Uh, place is full this morning. It came out in the rain. I, I just want to say we're going to wade in to one of the most uh, challenging social issues of our day. We're going to wade in right now to one of the most important spiritual issues of our day. So I'm probably going to say some things that you agree with. And you might want to clap or cheer. I'm going to ask you not to do that because there are people in the room still trying to navigate and work their way through this. I'm probably going to say some things that upset you or frustrate you or you don't agree with. I probably do that every week, okay? And, and, and I don't, I'm going to ask you not to boo or throw tomatoes or anything else because there's other people in the room that, that don't agree with this. So I don't know how your family handled conflict. Seems like families don't do real well with conflict. Seems like families kind of err on either they ignore conflict, they don't talk about conflict, there's a big elephant in the room, there's a tree in the center of the living room, but nobody really talks about it. Or there's just explosions. Families kind of get exasperated, they wait till there's a real problem, and they just, they just blow up. How about your family? What, what was your family like? How many of you in the room grew up with families that kind of just ignored conflict? They, were, they, they just kind of the silent treatment with conflict, okay? How many of you in the room had like explosive issues in your family? Okay, a lot of you had that, all right. As a, as a church staff, what I've started to do the last couple of years is I've said to our staff, we're going to have a discussion about something. I don't know that I've got it all figured out, I don't know that I have all the answers to this. I don't know that any of us have all the answers to a discussion, but I'd rather us talk about it ahead of time. I'd rather us kind of navigate through this discussion together rather than, you know, waiting too long. And so that's always just kind of my approach with conflict. I don't see conflict as bad. I see it as something, as an opportunity to work through some issues. And so we're going to work through some things today, and and it's it's nothing new. I mean, this is nothing new, these different social issues, spiritual issues. There's nothing new. And so, so we, we've talked about sexuality last week and heterosexual issues and concerns, and we're going to talk about some of those today. But we're also going to talk about homosexual questions and homosexual concerns. It, it's one of the questions of our day. And how do we navigate through this minefield? And so I'm going to ask you not to clap. I'm going to ask you not to boo. I'm going to ask us just to be respectful of everybody else in the room, because we're all at different places. And the challenging part for us today is, is how do we come together? My goal is not to fracture us. My goal is for us to come together. We're the family. We're the body of Christ. And, and we're hurting with this, or maybe we're happy with this, or maybe we're confused about this. And so again, the objective today is, is how do we come together, and what do we come together on. Well, it was the question in Jesus' day, too, about marriage. And so in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, they asked Jesus this. Some Pharisees came to test him. That's the little Greek word for trap. They came to trap Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, for any and for every reason, and that's, that's the really important part of that verse, for any and for every reason. And they're asking Jesus, of the two rabbinical schools, which school do you buy into, Jesus? The school of Hillel or the school of Shammai? 
In the rabbinical school of Shem, I said that you had to have a really strong reason to divorce your wife. And the school of Hillel said you could divorce your wife if she burnt your eggs. It didn't matter. You could do anything with the school of Hillel. And so they're asking this question. Here's Jesus' response. Haven't you read? Which is kind of funny. It's all they did was read. They're the Pharisees. All they did was read the law. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator... Now, don't miss this. Somebody created all this. Somebody had an idea for all this. I love the story about the middle-aged guy. He had a car problem. He's over the side of the road. This old man stops his car, gets out of his car, goes over, and says, let's look at the engine. The old man's leaning over. It's a true story. old man's leaning over, tinkering into the engine. And the the middle-aged guy says, I don't think we should do that. My mechanic says, that's not a really good idea. The older man gets the car started, and the younger man said, who are you? He said, I'm Henry Ford. I made the thing. Okay? (laughs) There's a creator. He made this. He made marriage. He created this. There was a creator, and he made them male and female. Look at the next verse. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Look at verse 6. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, he said, let no one separate. So what do we do when the Supreme Court of the United States has a 5-4 decision and decides to redesign and and reshape the concept of marriage in in this country. What do we do with something like that? Well, I want to give you an answer on not just that issue, because there'll be another issue next month, and there'll be another issue two months after that, but I want to give us a principle today on how we go forward as the family of God. How does the family of God go forward with all these different social and spiritual issues that face us on a regular basis? I remember when I was a younger pastor, I was 28 years old when I became a senior pastor. Man, you guys are down front. You guys are right. I hope I don't spit on anybody down here. (laughs) Um, Sorry about that. I remember when I was 28, it was way too young to be a senior pastor, way too young. And these kinds of issues would come up, you know. I'd have a friend, and he was cheating somebody in business. And what do I say to him? I have another friend, and and he's, you know, having premarital sex with two or three women. I have another friend, and he's having an affair. You know, he's married. And I'm like, what do I do? How do I go forward as a pastor with all this? And here's where I landed. The Bible always has plan A for every topic, for every issue, for every concern. Look at this. Here's what we try to come up with. What in the world is plan A? What is plan A? Does God have a plan A? And the answer to that is he does. Now here's the tension. The tension is as a pastor, you know you can't always live up to plan A. Plan A is up here and you feel that too. Bible teacher, new Christian, been a Christian for 100 years. It doesn't matter where you are in the continuum. Everybody in the room feels that tension because you know where you are, but you know where plan A is. And God's Word teaches plan A. He teaches plan A on alcohol. He teaches plan A on friendships. He teaches plan A on vocations and jobs. He teaches plan A on money. He teaches plan A on marriage. God teaches plan A for every concern of your life and for my life. 
But the tension is we can't always live it. And there's this gap. And when there's this gap, we feel then sometimes as Bible teachers to like lower the standard because we got to lower the standard because we can't live up to it. Well, that's why Jesus came. He knew there would be a gap. The gap is called the gospel. The gap is called grace. The gap is called mercy. The gap is called forgiveness. The gap is called love. The gap is what you want, friends. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I began to realize as a young pastor, there's a plan A. I said this last Sunday. I said last Sunday, I said everybody in the room who's 15 years of age and older, we've all sinned sexually. Do you remember that last week? We've all sinned. I said everybody who's 15 and over, we've either done the premarital sex thing, we've committed adultery, we've done the pornography thing, we've had lust in our hearts for five minutes, for five seconds, for five weeks, or for five years. Everybody in the room who's 15 years of age and older, we've all sinned sexually. I said, just take a deep breath. I had a great friend of mine come up to me and says, Preacher, you're wrong. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I was 11. <laughs> I thought, knowing him, he probably was. I thought that was, that was, that was great. So we, we've all done this. So there's a gap between us and between plan A. And so let me ask you this. Why would we dumb down God's standard? I mean, teachers and, pre- and, 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 and parents and coaches don't do that. As a parent, you don't lower the standard for your kids, for your children. You have a high standard for your children, and you want your children to be successful, and you want them to succeed. And even though you might not have lived up to the standard you're given to them, we use that, the kids use the phrase against us, you know, and parents say, don't do what I did, do what I say, right? Because you don't lower the standard. I've never had a coach that's lowered a standard. Even if the coach is out of shape and fat and can't run or whatever, no coach has ever said, you know, you've got to run the miles as fast as I do. Okay? I, in seminary, I remember in seminary and graduate school, we had these preaching professors. And these preaching professors, they were, I can't use the word sucks in church. They were horrible, okay? They were horrible. They were terrible. But they were great teachers. And so they were great teachers of homiletics, even though they couldn't do it. They never lowered the standard. When you and I lower the standards of God, we cheapen God, and we're not safe. We're not safe. Everything God gives us is for our safety. And so let's, for just a second, take this issue of of homosexuality, and let's just set it down for just a second. Just just take that issue and set it down, because that's volatile, and it's very emotional. And we're all impacted by that. We're all affected by that. We all have family there. And we all have friends there. And we're all trying to wrestle our way through this. Just set that down for just a minute. Take alcohol. Why would we ever teach plan B on alcohol? Why, why would we ever teach plan B? Now, alcohol is clear. We're not supposed to get drunk. But also, we know if we've got friends and family members who struggle with alcohol, why in the world would we ever drink around them? Why, why in the world would we ever dumb down that position to hurt someone? Why would we ever do that? Take friendships. 
The Bible's clear. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Why would we ever say to you, it's okay to hang around foolish people? Foolish people are great. Foolish people will improve your life. We would never teach that, would we? We always would teach plan A when it comes to friendships and the right kind of people in your life. Why would we ever teach plan C or plan D when it comes to money? God's Word tells us how to earn money, how to make money, how to save money, how to invest money, how to give money. God's Word tells us everything we could ever imagine about money. Why would we ever dumb that down? You see, we we wouldn't. And when it comes to marriage, I'm never going to dumb that down. All sex outside the marriage covenant is a sin, bottom line. You see, God created sex within marriage. And within marriage, it's safe. And you know this. You know outside of marriage, it's not safe. It's why 40% of all these children today are born out of wedlock. It's why sexually transmitted diseases are rising, rising. You know this. God created sex within the covenant of marriage, and it's good and it's safe. And so as a pastor, I can't teach you plan B. I can't teach you plan C doesn't mean I can live up to the plan A in every area of my life. But that's the gospel. That's the grace. That's the love. That's the forgiveness. That's the glory of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what do we do then with, let's pick it back up now. Let's now take the topic of homosexuality. What do we do with this? Well, I don't want to give you 50 different verses. I could. It's in multiple books of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. I just want to give you two passages. One's in the Old Testament and one's in the New Testament. The one in the Old Testament is actually in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus uh, chapter 18 verse 22 says this. It says, do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman, it is a detestable sin. Now, don't get mad at me. Get mad at Moses, okay? Moses wrote this. The Holy Spirit led Moses to write this. And by the way, that Hebrew word for detestable, it's the Hebrew word for perversion. He says it's a perversion. Let's look at one lengthy passage out of the book of Romans in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what they may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities and his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from the beginning, what has been made. So the people are without excuse. In other words, he's saying this. He's saying God in creation and God in your conscience has made it crystal clear that there is a God. You can resist him. You can rebel against him. You can deny him. But God has made it crystal clear. He's made himself known. It's called revelation. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise... They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God 
for images made to look like a mortal human being in birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, this is like idolatry, making like little idols. Therefore, God gave them over in their sexual, uh, sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and they served created things rather than the Creator who was forever praised. Amen. Now, because of this, don't miss this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's the Greek word for perversion there. It's a perversion in the Old Testament, Hebrew word. It's a perversion in the New Testament, a Greek word. So they, they would do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Gossips, they're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and they disobey their parents. Now, what do we do with this? How do we put these two sections of Scripture, and about 48 more passages in the Bible. How do we put them all together? See, here's the bigger question today. What do I do with the Scriptures? That's your question today. Your question today is really not as much about sexual purity, heterosexual, homosexual. That's that's our issue. But let's let's rise up about 3,000 feet. The real issue for your life and as a pastor, how I can really help you, is what do I do with the Scriptures? Now, we fall into three different camps in this room. And my goal is not to divide us. My goal is to unite us. But we're in three different camps in this room about the Scriptures. What do I do? There's a camp of you in here. There's some of you in this room, probably not very many, but there's a circle about this big of some of you in this room that you ignore God's Word. You don't like God's Word. You don't care about God's Word. It's a small circle. It's a very small circle. But some of you in the room, it's like it's antiquated. It's old-fashioned. A bunch of old angry guys wrote this thing. I'm going to ignore it, and I'm going to do what I want to do. There's a larger circle, though, in this room, a very much larger circle of of y'all in this room, and you've concluded that this is the Word of God. It's the anchor of your life. You've concluded that it's inspired. You don't understand every verse. You can't make sense out of everything. But you've landed on this circle where you believe that it truly is the Word of God. There's others of you in this room, kind of in this center circle, though, that you're really struggling. I'm so glad you're here. You're struggling. How do I put all this together? What do I do with God's Word? I've got friends that say this, and I've got, you know, my grandmother who's so loyal and faithful, and she's over here in this circle. And so so the question for you today is what will you do with the Word of God? And then our feelings get involved. Our feelings. And our feelings then begin to rub tension because we're not really sure what to do with our feelings 
because our feelings don't always match up with the scriptures. And so our feelings are like this. I've got a friend, or I've got a brother, or I've got a cousin, or I've got an aunt, and they've decided to practice heterosexual sin, or they've decided to practice homosexual sin. And and you struggle because you love them. And, And they're probably great people. They're probably good people. But you wrestle with my feelings. Can I just say a couple things about feelings? Feelings are terribly irresponsible. Right? Feelings are terribly, um, just get us in trouble on, on a regular basis. Now think about this. Successful people overcome their feelings. Non-successful, unsuccessful feeling, people let their feelings rule. Right? Let me give you some examples. See, successful people study when they don't feel like studying. But unsuccessful people, when they don't feel like studying, they quit studying. Successful people go to work when they don't feel like going to work. Unsuccessful people, hey, I think I might have a cold next Tuesday. I may have a hangnail next week. You know, unsuccessful people, they don't feel like going to work. So they, they don't go to work. Successful people in this room who are athletes, and you've been athletic all your life, successful people play through their hurts. They play through the pain. People that are, didn't ever achieve their potential athletically, they just they didn't feel like practicing. They didn't, you know, these people back here, you think about how skilled these men and women are back here. I bet they didn't always feel like practicing the piano, but they worked, they worked through their feelings, didn't they? And so this is what I'm trying to say to you. I would be very careful to follow your feelings. My feelings have led me in a ditch more than once or twice. Have yours? And so we watch our feelings. We have to be careful with our feelings because our feelings are not always right. And by the way, speaking of always right, you know, the Supreme Court made a 5-4 decision. It was a slight majority. 5-4 decision. But the majority isn't always right. You know that. The majority of the people thought the earth was flat. The majority of the people thought There was no future for radio and for for the railroad. In fact, in 1858, the Supreme Court ruled, called the Dred Scott ruling, that African Americans were chattel. They were pieces of property. And the Supreme Court was dead wrong. Everybody has inalienable rights. So the majority is not always right. The majority thought, There was no future for natural resources. We have more natural gas today than we know what to do with. I would be very careful and cautious in following the majority because the majority is not always right. So what do we do? How does our Heavenly Father lead us? How does our Heavenly Father help us? Well, I want to show you a couple of more scriptures because God's got some great things to say in His Word. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. And in Genesis, we see that God tells us how his plan was. He said to the Father, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit says us. Notice the plural there, the Godhead. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they rule, may rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the sky. Now, I really like that ruling over the fish in the sea because Friday I had 60 keeper legal fish, baby. I love that. I sure did. I'd rather talk about fishing than homosexuality any day, all right? 
and the birds in the sky, livestock, wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Look at the next verse. So God created mankind in his own image. Now, don't miss this. God created mankind in his own image. What did he make? He made male. He made female. Next verse. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. You know why God's stoked about that? It's called procreation. Because today on this earth, until Jesus Christ comes again, it's the only time we're going to have babies. Now, I know everybody's not married, and I know every married couple can't have children. I get that. But God likes babies because he wants heaven to be filled. He wants heaven to be full. And now is the only time where we're going to populate even this earth and heaven. So he's stoked about procreation. This was his idea. Rule over the fish of the sea again. I think that's a great verse. Ought to be in Boston. Ought to be on a plaque, okay? Birds of the air over every living creature that moves along the ground. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals. This is now chapter 2 of Genesis. The birds in the sky, he brought them to the man to see what the man would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's what its name was. So man, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, Adam didn't have a helper. Adam didn't have a completer. And so the, the question then is, is what did God create? What did God make? Look at the next verse. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. This is the first anesthesia, if you will, right here. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed it up, the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You know what I think Adam really said? Oh, baby, where have you been all my life? This is too good to be true. She was called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and his mother. He's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is two different people, a male, a female, two different families, two different backgrounds, two different cultures, and they come together. And and then Paul says in chapter 5 of Ephesians, it's a mystery. Look at this verse, chapter 5 of Ephesians. This reason, he's quoting the same verse, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery. Anybody that's been married in this room more than eight minutes knows that verse is absolutely true. (laughs) It is a profound mystery mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. And marriage is a reflection of the gospel. Marriage is a reflection of Christ and his church. And here's the whole point. Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Don't miss this. Let me say that again. Jesus is the bridegroom but he's in love with the bride, the church. And the church has got all these imperfections and all of us goofed up, messed up, you know, gaps in the Holy Spirit. And yet, yet the church then honors the bridegroom. And that's the most profound why of Christian marriage. So let me say this again. Jesus is the bridegroom. And he's going to love the bride no matter what she does, no matter what she says. He's going to give his life for the bride. And the bride is going to honor the bridegroom. And that's why the scriptures tell us, husbands, love your wives. As much as Christ loved the church. 
and see to it that the wife show respect. So what do we do with all this? How, how can we come together versus being splintered all apart? Well, even when the family has conflict and a discussion, you can't leave your family. You may not agree with everybody in your family, but, but you can't leave. The family doesn't split up because you don't agree with everybody. The family continues to work through this. So what do you do if in this room you have homosexual tendencies? And yet you not just have tendencies, but you actually engage in homosexual behavior. What do you do in this room if you are having any kind of sex outside the marriage covenant? You're heterosexual, but you're engaging in premarital sex or you're engaging in an adulterous relationship. What, what, what do you do? Are, are you trapped? Or are there any answers? Well, they bring this lady, they bring this lady to Jesus. And they just know that they've got Jesus trapped because she's been caught in the very act of adultery. And so they bring the woman to Jesus knowing they've trapped Jesus because if he's too soft on her, if he's too soft, then the law will get him. If he's too hard on her, well, then the people will lose favor in the, in the rabbi Jesus. So they, they've trapped Jesus. He has no options. And Jesus just stands up from writing on the ground. He says to the woman, he says, where are your accusers? He said, I, I don't accuse you. I'm offering you forgiveness. And then he said this, but go and sin no more. He offered forgiveness, but he did say, go and sin no more. So, so what do we do? Of course we balance grace and truth. Of course we balance this. We, we must be graceful Everybody in the room, 15 years of age or over, has sinned sexually. My friend was 10 or 11, but all of us in the room have, right? We balance grace with truth. But if we don't speak truth, if we don't stick with the truth, then we don't have anything really to offer, offer people. And so if you're homosexual and you're struggling with homosexuality, Jesus would say to you, I forgive you. But go and sin no more. Be celibate. Be celibate. If you're heterosexual and you're engaging in premarital or you're heterosexual and you're having something with somebody outside of the marriage covenant, he would say to you, you're forgiven. But be celibate. Go and sin no more. And so the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ takes us and I don't know how big your gap is. My gap's pretty big. But every one of us in this room, there is a gap between where we are and plan A. We're not going to dumb down plan A. We can't. We can't dumb down plan A. Plan A's God's word. Plan A's God's plan. Plan A's God's purpose. Plan A keeps you safe. Plan A protects you. You already know plan A works. And so what do we do? We balance. We balance grace. I think we have to be graceful. I think we can't be uh, bigoted. I don't think we can be 
unloving, unkind, I think we'd be very loving. We'd be very kind. But I also think we have to be truthful. Because Jesus said at best, the truth will set you free. And so what do we do? We balance grace. We balance truth. Well, I want to pray for us right now. It's raining anywhere. you got no place else to go right now. Just relax. Okay? I want to pray for you right now because collectively, I think we all need to repent. I think we all need to confess our sins. I think we all need to say to God, you know, here's the standard and here's where I am, but I'm going to accept your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your love. I, I, I believe all of us in the room could use kind of a collective cleansing. I'm going to encourage you to be sexually pure and to have sexual integrity. You see, when we're sexually pure and have sexual integrity, we're safe. We're healthy. Proverbs chapter 1 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise? You follow the Scriptures. You stick with the Scriptures. And you allow God's grace and mercy to fill the gaps. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to somehow come down front. And the rest of us are going to stand up. And I want to pray for us. I want to lead us in prayer today. And after I finish praying, maybe you want to come down today and be prayed for and be prayed over. It's a good idea to be prayed for today. Father God, we will always, always, always teach plan A at Harborside. And yet I know we can't always live plan A in most categories. So we collectively come to you and we confess our sins before you. We confess our sins of lust. We confess our sins of breaking your covenant. And we come to you right now after a confession asking for a cleansing. And may you cleanse our hearts, our minds, our wills, and our emotions. And we pray that not only will you cleanse us, but you'll fill the gap. And the gap will be filled in our hearts, our minds, our wills, our emotions with your Holy Ghost. Your Holy Spirit will come inside of our lives and transform and change us and take us from where we are to where you want us to be. Father God, thank you for your scriptures to be our guide, to be our guideline. And Lord, help us to get this right with grace and truth. Help us to balance this tension really, really well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.